it's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this episode is brought to you by Paper Trails Greeting Company, one of my favorite small businesses in the running community. Kristen, who has been on this show, is doing wonderful stuff over there. And there's a couple things that I want to make you aware of today because I feel like this can help not only you, but the people in your lives who just sometimes need to hear from you or just need that little pep in their step or or basically whatever it is, right? We all have these interpersonal connections that we want to um, you know, make sure that we cultivate and grow. And Paper Trails Greeting Company is all for that. So what I really want to make sure you're aware of is their Happy Mail monthly subscription. So what's in that? All right. First, a surprise bundle of three running-related cards. Each month has an appropriate theme for that month. There are stamps included, so you don't have to worry about getting stamps. Also, there are writing prompts. For those of you who need a little help getting started with your cards, Kristen is there for you, helping you with this every step of the way. For the self-proclaimed lazy card writers out there or anyone just plain forgetful, you will be all set. This renews every month and you can cancel at any time. Also, they have the new Mantra series that came out in January. I'm hoping to see everyone involved in that because you have this printable PDF that you can put up wherever you need to. You know, there's next to your treadmill or your writing space or wherever you need that little pep in your step. You can go to Paper Trails Greeting Co com and use code rambling to save 15% on any non-subscription order. Also, this is a big thing for coaches. If you are a coach, getting these cards can really help you connect with your athletes. All right. So today's episode is with Megan Murray Newberger. I couldn't wait to get Megan on the show because I've been a big fan of hers in a lot of ways. So she is the kind of managing director, co-managing director of, I should say managing director, managing partner is a better way of saying it, of Big Run Media, also of Believe in the Run. If you are interested at all in running shoes, then you probably are well aware of Believe in the Run. They do so many good shoe reviews both on their website and on YouTube and on Instagram. And they're just doing, not only are they super informative, they're just really fun. Megan is a big part of that. And I couldn't get, couldn't wait to get her on the show to talk about that project, project and everything they're doing over there. Also, from a running perspective, Megan just broke three hours in the, at the Woodlands Marathon, which is obviously a huge deal for any runner, but she's been right on the cusp of breaking it for some time now. So I wanted to talk to her about what was needed this time around to get her over the top because she'd been so close, like 304, 305, 302. She was always so close. And there's such gravity around those big round numbers, uh, especially around the marathon, but any distance, right? You got the four minute mile, the six minute mile, the 20 minute 5K, right? The hour and 45 minute half marathon or the two hour half marathon. Those big numbers have a gravity around them. And for the three hour marathon and Megan, that one certainly held true, but she knocked it out of the park just a couple weeks ago. So let's get into my conversation with Megan Murray Newberger. Hello, Megan, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. I am honored to be here. I am, I, I am honored to be talking to you. So I'm a big fan of yours in a couple different respects. Not only am I a fan of your running ability and seeing what you've done recently, someone who's kind of been just north of the three-hour marathon mark for a while and then breaking that mark. I know it's like two minutes here, two minutes here. Why does it matter? But ultimately those, those round numbers have a certain gravity towards them. And it really can be a fun thing to witness somebody getting underneath that. With that said, as someone who is a big wig over believe in the run media, (laughs) I'm excited to chat with you as well, because I spend an inordinate amount of time, not just watching the videos and reading the reviews, but rewatching and rereading <laughs> the videos and reviews so often. So I'm so excited to chat with you about all this. I guess let's talk first about Believe in the Run, because that's something that a lot of people are, uh, are aware of, um, but some people may not be. So first of all, what, what is that and what was the genesis uh, behind Believe in the Run? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for tuning in to all of our fun stuff. Uh, Believe in the Run is basically a shoe review website, and we talk about everything running. It started by Thomas, my husband, about 10 years ago, and he was actually just 
he was running the Trans Rockies and he wanted to create awareness for the charity he was um, raising money for. And he started just vlogging his training. And it turned out people were more interested in what he was running in than anything else. And it sort of snowballed from there. And we grew the team. And now there's a YouTube channel, a website. Now we have a podcast. And it's just sort of snowballed from there. Yeah, so the podcast is called The Drop. If someone's listening to this, then they're obviously uh, inclined to, to listen to podcasts. Certainly check that out. You guys do a good job of interviewing kind of like an eclectic group of people from you know some of the most popular runners in the in the world to some people who are in the in the running shoe space. How do you decide which people you're going to interview for that? Because it seems like you cast a pretty wide net, but you do a good job of kind of taking people and uh, from different groups and kind of placing them in an order, which which seems um, handy. Yeah, it's kind of, we're trying to stay on top of what's like trending. So whether it's someone who's designing the shoe and sort of their thought process behind it, or whether someone who was wearing that shoe and just broke an American record, we sort of just like to be like on top of what's happening in the latest trends. And so anyone within that realm, like I said, whether it's the designer of the shoe or the athlete running, we just like to get their insight. And you guys have become so popular. I wonder how much of it now is you guys reacting to trends where I feel like you're also in a position to kind of set the trends in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, well, that's very nice. I, um, it's funny because our podcast in the beginning, we sort of chat between us and give a little update on what we're doing in the running realm. And I'm like, who wants to listen to this part of it? But it turns out people do. So <laughs> that's always flattering. Um, and yeah, I mean, we just get excited about shoes that we love and gear that we love. So it's easy for us to talk about and fun for us to talk about. Yeah. And you guys are, the energy is always palpable unless it's the A6 Cumulus 23 review, in which case <laughs> it was not. <laughs> yeah, just, we, I'm busting up Robbie on that one because I was like, oh, I was really excited <laughs> for that. I like I liked the A6 Cumulus 2022. 20, What's the 23 going to be about? And I feel like someone like slipped Robbie something into his coffee that morning because he was like <laughs> flatlined. Yeah, we are also very honest uh, with the reviews. So if we do not like a shoe, you will know pretty quickly. I was going to ask you about that because I know some reviewers will, they won't say, they won't lie about shoes, but they'll just want to be on more on the positive side of things. So if they're looking at a shoe and they're like, I just don't like this shoe, then they'll just, you know, unless it's like they're, um, they won't say maybe they won't do like a final review of a shoe. Because they just they want to stay positive. There's a lot of shoes out there. Let's just focus on things that I like, and then that's understandable, right? And there's other people who are like, no, if I'm if I'm testing out a shoe, I'm going to give a review no matter what. How do you guys go back and forth with with that kind of thinking and um, whatever? It's, it's definitely a little bit of a challenge, just because we have relationships with all of these brands, and we know that there's someone who put a lot of time and energy designing the shoe. And obviously, we don't want to take away from the hard work that they've done. But and at the end of the day, running shoe reviews are totally subjective. So what I like, you might hate. And what you like, I might hate. So we're just giving our honest opinions and letting sort of the world do with that what they want. Yeah, because that's a great point. Because like, you know, you and especially when like you and Thomas have have done reviews together, you guys make a point of identifying what shoes typically work for you. Which is funny because, like, I know you guys have to, like, basically retell the, the story every time as if someone's like, this is their first time listening to you, which is always funny. Like, you know, I, I think it was um, one of my last podcasts with Allie Feller. She was talking about things like the Babysitter's Club. She's like, I always get to stick, I always get to skip chapter two because if you've ever read that book before, you know exactly what happens in chapter two because they're always giving you the history of the series and you can just go from chapters one to three. I kind of feel that way when you guys are giving like your lowdown, like, this is what my foot is like. Um, yeah. With that said, like so many people can use shoes not only differently, but how they land. Like, so I'm a midfoot striker, like how I feel about a shoe could be very different than somebody else that doesn't, that's not a reflection on the shoe itself, but just how it might be used. Yeah. And so part of what we've done over the past maybe year and a half has grown the team specifically for that reason. So like I have a different foot than Thomas and he has a different foot than Robbie. And some people run trails and some people prefer roads and some people heel strike and midfoot strike. And so we're trying to just like diversify who's on the team and who's running so that we do have that broad, you know, here's what might work for you because this is what your foot's like. 
Right. And then you guys got into like the shoe business itself. I know you had the little, um, you know, you had the, the cooperation with the Treyu where all of a sudden there was a believe in the run shoe out there. I was like, this is great. Like, this is like, <laughs> this is fantastic. But then it's like, but then I wonder, because you brought up the point before that you had these relationships. So like, how does that, that must like, that must be strange, right? You're like, all of a sudden you're partnering with the Treyu, but then they come out with like the artist. So it's just like, oh shoot, like now we're working with them. What can we say? What can we not say? And it seemed like you guys were a fan of the shoe anyway, but I can see that being a difficult spot to be in. Yeah. So, well, so Atreyu, Michael Kragic, who is the founder, uh, we ran into at Trey, which is the running event. Um, I guess it was 2019. Yeah. And from that conversation, he sort of just launched his shoe. And after that, it was just a friendly thing. And then because his orders were so small, Thomas was like, could we do a custom Believe in the Run shoe? And he was like, sure, let's try it out. So that was just like a one-off really fun project um, with him. And we'll always support him just because he's a friend and he is making really great shoes. So that helps. And you saw him this weekend. Yes. Yeah. He was in the Woodlands with us. Yeah. That marathon, man, I, I wasn't aware of the Woodlands marathon. Maybe I was, but like, it wasn't something that was top of mind for me. It seemed like this weekend, maybe it's because it was like the first like real race in person that like was more than seven people um, that we've seen <laughs> in a while. I felt like everyone that I was following on, on, on the social media uh, channels was was either at that race or was participating in that race. What was it like for you as someone who was obviously gearing up for it? You had these big goals to finally step into a position where you're not just going to be doing a virtual race or doing something really local and small, but something that's much more something that, you know, in years past that you've been so used to doing. It was so exciting. I It's hard to even put into words. It almost was like your first race you know, because it had been a year. Ironically, the last flight that we took before the pandemic was our way back from the Woodlands Marathon last year. They managed to be the last race to to have a live event in 2020 and one of the first ones to come back in 2021. So it was, it was so exciting. I just, I forgot what it was like being in that atmosphere of runners and just the excitement and the nerves and all of it. And it was, it was so much fun. Oh my gosh. All right. So when did you have Woodlands on your calendar for 2021? When did that come become, you know, go from like idea to like, let's, I hope this can happen to all of a sudden it was written in pen. Like, all right, this is happening. I'm going for it and I'm training for it. So, so sort of a side note, I guess, on top of Believe in the Run, we have a company called Big Run Media, which focuses on digital marketing for endurance events. And one of our clients is the Woodlands Marathon. So we've been working with them for three years. Um, and I knew I was going to be there, assuming it was going to happen. I just didn't know I was going to run it. So Willie, who's the race director, told us from the get-go it was happening. And, you know, we kept seeing these races cancel or postpone. And I kept being like, are you sure? And he was like, it's happening. We're doing it. I got approvals. I got these permits. And so I probably didn't believe it was happening until like three weeks before. Wow. And then I was like, okay, this is definitely on. I know he got the permits. I know he got it USATF certified. I, I know that this is all good and it's happening. And Texas is like being in a different country during the pandemic. So I was like, it's. Yeah, it's happening. It's on. Wow. And then throw it into the mix. Like you think about three weeks ago when that it really became, all right, this is definitely going to happen. That's well, that is exactly coincide with when the polar vortex ripped through. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Or maybe like shortly thereafter. So then, yeah, there was that concern of like, is everything going to be back to normal? Because people were without water, without heat. I mean, and the houses there just weren't ready for that. So, yeah, I felt I felt really bad for that community, but they seemed to pop right back. And I mean, when we were there, you wouldn't have known there was anything wrong. All right. So let's talk about your running background. So we, we've hinted at the idea of like, right, you were in the cusp of running a three hour marathon, which is extremely fast and definitely positions you as, you know, just an, an incredible runner. So where I guess just give us the origin story behind your running life. So it's kind of funny. I hated running growing up. Um, Joke's on you, Megan. Now your whole life is revolving around <laughs> I know. It. I know, right? Um, yeah. 
I was always an athlete. I played soccer since I could walk till I was a senior in high school. And after high school, um, I decided not to really pursue soccer or lacrosse or any of the sports I was doing in college and just focus on studying. And I sort of needed some sort of outlet. So I did a little jogging here or there in college. Um, and then I moved. So I went to college, College Charleston, South Carolina. I, but I was from Maryland. I ended up moving back here in 2012. And that's when I met Thomas. And he knew that I was like casually running, you know, like I would do like one to three miles a day. That was like my workout for the day. And he convinced me to sign up for a 10 mile race here in Baltimore. That's like so a, a drastic, race. a drastic up in my up, upping of the mileage. Yes. And um, it was like a big party afterwards. It happens in the middle of the summer. It's like super fun. And so that was my first experience with like a race and running a distance. And I had a really, really good time. So a few months go by and the big event in Baltimore is the Baltimore Running Festival, which is our marathon and half marathon. And it takes place in the heart of the city. And Thomas was like, if you can do a 10 miler, you can do a half marathon. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Half marathon sounds really scary. But it's about a month before the event. And I go to the registration website and I see that the half marathon is $120 and the full marathon is $130. And I was like, it's only $10 more, but you get to run twice as far. And I was like, this seems, this seems ridiculous. I should just do the full. And Thomas had a coach. I have so, hold on. I have so many questions. <laughs> so, so your fear of running was overcome by your bargain shopping? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I had also just gone through a breakup at that time. So I was like, I can do anything. So Thomas's coach says, um, you can, if you do a six, it was, so I had a month before. So if I did a 16 miler, an 18 miler, a 20 miler, like no taper, then straight into the marathon, I could probably do it. So I was like, okay, not knowing anything about running. This is so funny because like, you know, a week before that, you're like 13 miles is too far. Yeah. Now you're like, Yeah. Totally fine. 16, 18, 20, 26. No problem. So I have to ask, sorry. So, so all of a sudden you're, you have this complete shift in, in mind frame and it changes everything. Have you used that at other points in your life where like literally just how you're looking at a situation that you can just shift the lens or shift the angle with which you're looking at the, the problem or the situation and that makes all the difference? Or was this like one of those first times that you've had this drastic change just from changing your point of view? It's a really good question. And I'm sure that there have been other points in my life where I've done that, but I can't think of a specific example right now. Um, I'm, I'm such a big planner and I'm such like, an, like I like to have things in order and know a schedule and stuff, but then every once in a while I'll just be like, okay, whatever, just let's do it. And just we'll do something random. Um, but I can't think of a, I'll think of one maybe while we're talking, but I can't think of one right now. All right. So when it, if it comes to you, just, you know, okay. you know just throw it in there. Okay. All right. So how did that go? So, I did the long run, three weeks up, got, it was so anticlimactic. So I was living by myself. I drove myself to the start line of the marathon. I got out, I ran the race. I was told that a sub four hour would be a really good goal. And that's like what a lot of runners want to do. And I, again, like I, I know nothing about running at this point. So I'm like, okay, that'll be my goal. So I ran a 355. Um, Crossed the finish line. I had no friends there. I got my medal. I got back in my car. I called my mom. I was like, mom, I ran a marathon and um, <laughs> went back home. And that was it. Where's Thomas? He was the instigator yeah, behind was, all this. He was out there cheering. Um, I think he was running the relay or something that day. So, Oh, my God. So he was playing. So you, so you, you had this. You, know, you had a breakup, and all of a sudden he's playing hard to get. He's like not at the finish line <laughs> helping you out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So. You mentioned before that pre-college, 
Uh, and College Charleston is a Division One school, and there's some there's some high level sports um, over there. Um, so we should say that in terms of like making that choice, like to do athletics in college and to and not to do it. It's not as if you went to like I don't know, you know, Hood College sure. <laughs> in Baltimore. You're like I could play any sport here; it'd be yeah. fine. Um, so, from an athletic perspective in high school, where where do you stand? I guess against you know amongst your peers, and I say that to say like obviously as a runner now you're at like this sub elite level. Um, where were you, uh, in high school? I was competitive. I mean, I was on the varsity team. I was the captain of our soccer team my senior year. So I, yeah, I mean, I was one of the lead scorers. I was definitely competitive and I did pretty well. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Okay. So you, you run, you, first of all, you break four hours in a marathon that you didn't even think you were going to run and you didn't end up tapering for. So I mean, that certainly provides an inkling of the talent within. Once that happened, so many people, like they, they run the marathon. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have this linear progression as a runner or potential linear progression as a runner. Why didn't you just stop there? Why did you decide to progress? I think all of the feedback I got from runners and even my friends who didn't know anything about running was so positive and they were so excited. And then the runners were like, you, if you can do that, you can run so much faster if you actually trained properly. And that got me really excited. And I was like, okay, 
And then I found out about Boston and qualifying for Boston and what I would have to do for that. And that seemed like a really, really exciting goal to chase after. And what about was it? What about it made it exciting? Was it the competitiveness of these, you know, running with certain people and achieving certain high level standards? Like, hey, ten percent, top ten percent, make this, and it's like, hey, I'm an achiever, I'm going to make that happen. Or was it more of like, hey, you know, these urban urban running centers? I think Baltimore, you know, is, is one of those, and you see so many people like in New York and San Francisco where they form these running communities, and there's so much community around it. I'm just I guess I'm, I'm not. This isn't a great question. I'm not phrasing this very well. And someone who edits people for a living, I'm sure you can you gave this pretty pretty well. But ultimately, what were some of the things that, that drew you in um, besides um, these goals, uh, just in terms of what made them attractive? Yeah, uh, sort of like you mentioned, the community, like the running community, just being around that is, I just love. I love runners. I just think they're such positive, fun people. Um, and I found that, First of all, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do the marathon. Like I signed up and I, you know, I went into it like, hey, I can do this. But I certainly had doubts, like if I could actually run 26.2 miles. And completing that, I think, transferred to other parts of my life where I was like, I think I can do hard things. Like I can, I can get uncomfortable and I can do challenges that maybe I didn't think I could do before outside of running, like at work. Um, and take on projects or things I didn't think I could, but I, I would. So had you up until that point, have you gone through like a path of least resistance type mode or was it just like a lack of confidence to pursue things that you were interested in? I think probably a lack of confidence. Um, I, I, I mean, I, it wasn't an easy road like of my work lifestyle. I, I worked at a, a startup for a while and then we jumped on to do our own business. So I wouldn't say that those are easy paths. Um, but I definitely think that I gained a ton of confidence from running the marathon in other parts of my life. All right. So talk to me about after that. So that, that, that marathon happens, you start diving in, you got these bigger goals when did you feel like you like, you know, that there weren't limits for you as a runner? Because it seems now like someone breaks three hours a marathon. That That's an incredible thing. When did you think that sort of performance was within you? So I started working with a coach after that first marathon and training properly. And he instilled a lot of confidence in me um, and my ability to go for Boston, which I ended up getting. I think a year or two later. And um, after that, just being in the running group that I was under this coach and the people in that group telling me over and over that I had potential to be a fast runner, eventually just like soaked in. And I got a lot of confidence from that. And then, as you know, I, I ran a lot of 3-0 races and felt like I hit a plateau for a really long time and definitely had some doubts and maybe was like, should I stop trying to go for this sub three hour marathon when I've failed over and over and over again? So this past weekend certainly was a win. <laughs> and it's interesting that you mentioned before that that was like a fail. You were failing. And that was an interesting word choice because certainly you weren't achieving your goal and yet you were still running very, very quickly. And certainly I can just extrapolate from that, that training must have been going fairly well as well in order to kind of keep that consistency up at such a high level. If you were counseling someone in your running group or someone that had reached out to you and like, hey, I feel like I'm a failure because I feel like I'm failing because I've only run 305 in my last five marathons. You know, like how would your counsel to them differ from maybe the self-talk you were providing? um inside your own head yeah it would be completely different <laughs> i would never tell someone they're a failure for running 305 marathons back to back um i mean yeah it takes a lot of dedication and training to continually run 305 marathons like it's not like you can sign up and i mean maybe if you're super talented but i'm i don't think i could do that where you just you know sign up and run so obviously there's a ton of work behind it and uh, yeah, I would, I would think I would say just keep, keep going. So what were some of the differences this time around? Because 
not only were you able to achieve your goal, but you were able to do it in a in a race setting that, as you just mentioned before, that you weren't even sure there was going to be a race. So what differed for you in this training cycle compared to things that you had done in the past and what remained the same? So the training remained fairly consistent. Um, the volume and the workouts were pretty similar. I did end up dropping some of my easy miles and doing some cycling um, instead, which I think was probably good for my body. But the number one difference was nutrition. And I, I started working with a woman named Megan Featherstone. In, of course. She's yeah, wonderful. In November of last year with the goal of this marathon in mind. And I always thought I was doing the right things and eating healthy. And I just, I had no idea. So one of the first things we did was I got blood tests and I got sweat tests and we figured out where I was off. So super low in iron, which is very common for uh, women athletes. And uh, it turns out I am a huge, heavy sweater and a very salty sweater. So that was a big component because a lot of my marathons were going really, really well until about mile 20. And I would get horrible calf cramps and leg cramps to the point where I had to stop in some marathons. So we figured out that by increasing my iron levels, increasing my carb intake by a lot, a lot more carb. Um, During the run or just everyday life? Everyday life and and uh, before the race, obviously. And then during, we uh, knew exactly how much fluid I had to take and how much electrolytes I had to take in order to sustain like my sweat rate and salt rate. God, so that's pretty technical. That's interesting. I've you know, I haven't heard, I know that th this was a possibility and I've heard about elite athletes that have undergone that. I didn't know that it was something that amateur runners were, were investing in. When she told you to do a sweat test, was that something that was on your radar or was that like a whole new thing? No, I, I didn't realize it's super easy. So there's this company called the Levelin, it's the Levelin sweat test and they send you a little package in the mail and it's basically like a little uh, piece of cloth. And then like you put it on your arm and you put a bandaid over top and then you go for a 60 minute run and you take it off, you put it into a little beaker, you mail it off to them and they send you a report like a week later about how much sweat per hour and then how much salt per hour you lose. Wow. Yeah. Super cool. That's and crazy. I'm, I would be, I would just think the whole thing would like evaporate. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I am just such a science no, idiot, so I you, guess. Like, you, <laughs> have to put it in a tube and then close it up and seal it tight so it's like contained um but yeah as a big data nerd i was like loving all of this information and i was like okay so i get to do this and like i had all of my long runs so previously all of my long runs i would just go out easy pace i didn't have any workouts involved and um i barely took in nutrition that's so interesting to me because you are living in the running space, right? There's not many people who are more ingrained in running than you. And you're aware of all the stuff you have probably, you can get everything for free if you wanted to, right? So yeah. what about your mentality led you to like not use any of it despite the knowledge of its availability and how many other people were using it and so on and so forth? I think it took a professional to tell me that this is what I had to do because I felt, to be fair, I felt fine out on the run. Um, and I didn't like actually taking in like a gel or something during a run was, I did the thought of it is horrible and actually doing it. I didn't like, so I was like, well, I just won't do it. And then on race day, I'll just figure it out, <laughs> which was not a good strategy. Right. And certainly that can, that can lead to GI issues, but you bring up an interesting point too of like, Hey, but I felt okay. And that's a, that's an interesting barrier because for a lot of people, that can be a reason not to try something new. It's like, but I feel okay. And certainly there can be a big difference. And, um, and the time here is relative, but there can be a big difference in terms of feeling okay and then excelling for whatever that might mean to somebody as a runner within their current fitness. How quickly into this transition of eating differently? both during, before in your runs and just in the, your normal, your normal days, did you start to notice a difference? I would say it took two weeks 
for me to be consistent with the new eating and um, taking in like more fluids and also eating during long runs. And I noticed a drastic difference in my training. Wow. Like I, I used to have a marathon pace segment and I would be holding on like for dear life, trying to run my marathon pace. Oh yeah. I know exactly yeah. how that feels. <laughs> yes. And as soon as I, I changed into this diet, it was like, oh, I have energy. Like this is sustainable. I can run faster. And my training was so much better than, than any, this was the best training cycle I've ever had. Now it's not as if like, your food choices only affect you, right? You have a family, got kids. How did that affect just home life? Like cause I'm going through stuff right now. Like I'm starting to convert to more of a plant-based uh, eating strategy, especially like pre-dinner. And even during dinner, I'm, I'm really kind of laying low on that. But like, I know that I can't go full force with that because like, I'm not, I'm not living here alone. So how does, how did those food choices affect you? Because it also affects other people in your home. Well, the good news is everyone loves carbs. So our family was pretty okay with it. <laughs> um, and I, it's funny because everyone asks, like, what diet were you on? And it's, it's not, it, it is in no way a diet. It's a sustainable lifestyle. Like, I enjoy cocktails. And I told Megan this when we started working together. And she's like, that's fine. She's like, two times a week, two drinks is, is fine. So like that didn't change and it's, it didn't change like so drastically. It was more just eating more carbs in the morning and lunch more around when you're running versus not eating a lot in the morning when you're using the most energy and then you're starving at dinner and then you eat like everything in your cupboard. Oh yeah. That's great. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. Um, so were you a quick adopter? to everything that she was saying, or were there certain elements to it that you were maybe less inclined to be an early adopter of? I questioned it, but I accepted it and I followed through. And I knew if in, if I hadn't been feeling better within a couple of weeks, like then, you know, we changed something, but I knew if I, if I was going into this, I had to follow what she suggested. Otherwise, what's the point? So what caused you to start working with Megan in the first place? Because again, you were running at a high level and you know, I had the same conversation with, with Kevin Duffy yesterday who you know, converted to a plant-based diet, but he was, he was not as if he was like on death's door, which precipitated this drastic change. Not that you don't say that your change was drastic, but ultimately it's not as if things were going poorly. So what, what was the, the, the line in the sand that made the change uh, something that you really wanted to do? Well, it was partially the back-to-back -back marathons of getting really close and not quite reaching the goal and the cramping that I, I could not figure out. And I did a ton of research and I was convinced it wasn't nutrition or hydration related. And I thought I had eliminated that, but I, I realized that I should at least try and see if that, that could help. And so that was my initial um, reasoning for reaching out to, to Megan and, and wanting to see if she could help. All right. So as you're preparing for Woodlands and you're start thinking about race strategy and making sure that you're, you know, going through the race with, you know, you know, to, to that your race strategy matches your fitness level. Did you start to realize that, that you had reached a new level of fitness that you hadn't in prior races or what was that, that race strategy session like for you? Well, so I don't have a coach, so I, <laughs> I, my strategy was just sort of in my head, I guess. Um, but before the Woodlands, I did a half marathon time trial. With like Baltimore's finest. I like, I recognize like everyone in that picture. Yes. Yeah. I had a, a group of guys pace me who it was like, they were out there jogging, but for me it was, you know, all out running and I ran posted two minutes faster than I had planned to run. Oh, wow. And I thought I could for the half. And so that gave me a lot of confidence. And if you put it into the, if you put a 122 half into the calculator in the V dot, it'll tell you, you can run a 251, which I think is a little aggressive. But in my mind, I was like, I think I can run under 255. 
And so that was my A goal going into the race. Um, again, like I hadn't really raced in over a year, so I didn't know what to expect. And, um, interestingly, it was the hardest marathon I've ever done in terms of it never felt easy. I expected to start at six forties and it feel comfortable because that's typically how you feel with marathon pace in the beginning. And then it gets worse as you go. I don't know it, what it was, but I thought we were sprinting in the beginning and we were running just race space on, on target. And I just felt uncomfortable the entire time. Wow. <laughs> I would have never thought that someone could execute a race with that being the case. Like I've said on this podcast many times, like if you if you don't feel good the first 10 miles of a marathon, like something's probably not going great. To be honest, I thought about DNFing at 13.1. Wow. I was like, it, this is so hard. How am I possibly going to do this again? Um, but I was really lucky. So Ben Johnson, I don't know if you know him. He writes for us. Ben Johnson, of course. Not only the 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 artist behind some some crazy shoe mock-ups, but maybe the best calves on Instagram. Yes. So he was. He <laughs> and I say flew. that I say that to purposely embarrass him. Uh, I'm sure he's a great guy, but yeah, there are. The, I don't have a lot, a lot of like body envy with other people, but Ben will take pictures with his shoe with with shoes and he'll do the calf flex. I'm like, yeah, those are some nice calves right there. Yeah. He also has washboard abs to go along with it. So. <laughs> Uh, so he flew out to pace me. Like he came to the woodlands to be my pacer. So I was like, I cannot bail on this guy who flew out here. I also was lucky that I got to have bottles out on the course, which I've never had in a marathon before. And I had all of these like amazing opportunities for me laid out that I was like, you have to just keep going. So why didn't you slow down then? I guess that's my question. Right, so, so obviously you have this dichotomy set up, like I keep going or I DNF. There are a lot of shades of gray here where you could have been like, I just can't keep this pace up. Ben, bring those calves back over here. <laughs> you got to slow down. Stop pulling away. So we did slow down a little bit, um, but he was determined to keep us on pace as close as we could. Um, so I had him, you know, yelling slash cheering for me the whole last 13 miles. Uh, and I, I honestly, the discomfort during that race, I knew wasn't going to be as bad as the discomfort afterwards if I had run another three oh whatever. So I think that was a lot of my motivation. And I also think, again, the nutrition and the hydration Help kept me going, like kept me out there. Like I just got another 30 minutes, took a gel. Okay. This will get me through to the next 30 minutes and just chunking it up out there and just trying to chase Ben as fast as I could. So did you start to feel any tweaks in the calves? I know that we've, anyone who's experienced a calf cramp knows that again, maybe it's not the same for everybody. I've had calf cramps before. They don't just, they don't just come out of nowhere, right? It's not just like this thunderclap. And there's like, there's little hints, there's little pulls, there's a little tightness and then it'll go away. Like, did you get any of that? So I did, at, but it wasn't until mile 25 and I got like those little like twinging in my hips and like calves and like randomly throughout my leg. But at mile 25, I was like, I can, I can make it now. So luckily it didn't turn into anything worse. Like sometimes they come to full tuition and you're, you know, cramping up and on the ground, but this one luckily um, just sort of dissipated and I made it to 26.2. Oh my God. That is amazing. All right. So I got to ask you the shoe question because you're all things shoes. Yep. What, what were the, the final contenders of the shoes that you were going to go with and what did you ultimately choose? So the final contenders, honestly, it, it was just the one that I chose. It was the Nike alpha fly. Gotcha. Okay. So, with that shoe, what about that shoe is such a hit for you? Because I've had people I've talked to that really love it. Obviously, you're one of those people. Other people who say, I'm a fan of it, but I it doesn't fit my sh my foot strike. Like, I have to think about how I'm landing in the shoe, which obviously is not something you want, especially when you're running for three hours. Yeah. It's interesting because 
I was looking around at the start line in the corrals and a lot of the fastest women there were in the Vaporfly Next Percent and not the Alpha Fly. And I've heard from a lot of people that that is their preference. And I, for whatever reason, I just find that the Alpha Fly works best for me. It's, it's got the AirPod and to me, the Next Percent, the Vaporfly Next Percent, after a lot of miles, you don't get the same pop. Whereas the Alpha Fly, I feel like lives forever. And at mile 25, you still feel like you have that bounciness. And I've heard you mention on a lot of shoe reviews that you're a big fan of, um, I guess, let me put it the other way, that you're not a big fan of like ground contact feel. Yes. That for you, that, 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 that's a big part of it. Do you think that preference also plays into that decision? Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you don't feel the ground at all in the Alpha Fly. You've got like a AirPod and this thick rubber and like all this stuff going on underneath. So, yeah. Haven't you popped one of the tires before? I remember seeing like <laughs> it was so funny because you guys you guys talked about it. As if like there was like it was like a death in the family of like the popped <laughs> AirPod on the Alpha Fly. It was like the <laughs> obviously it was tongue in cheek, but it, it was pretty funny. It's that's the only shoe that we have to buy ourselves, so it was like devastating because also it seems outrageous to spend that much on one pair of shoes, but I do it because I love it. And so, yeah, I was out on a training run in downtown Baltimore and I stepped on a nail. Like, what are the chances of the nail going right through the AirPod? But it did. And Nike was kind enough to take them back and refund me. So so how did that feel? Like, what, what, what did that shoe feel like with the depressed AirPod? I didn't even know it had popped, really. I thought I, there was like a pebble stuck in the bottom of my shoe. And so I'm like running along and I'm like, what's this noise? And it did feel a little off, but like nothing too crazy. And then I stopped and I pulled out the nail and it was like the air was gone. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. my God. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, shoot, you were even like rocking like the no ground ground contact feel like in the days leading up. I just saw a couple of pictures like you're rocking like the New Balance Fresh Foam War 3 just walking around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, all, all the cushion. Give me all the stack height, all the cushion all day long. Okay, so tell me about your favorite high stack height shoes. It seems like from watching your reviews, it seems like the Hoka Bondi has like a special place in your heart. But I'm sure you there's more there's more shoes than that that you're particularly fond of. Yeah, the I mean I love Hoka's in general. The Clifton, I actually ran I ran Boston in the Clifton. Um, I ran several marathons in the Clifton before the plated shoes came out, and. The more three has got to be my favorite shoe right now of any daily trainer. And then also the Hoka Mach 4 is another really good one. Again, a lot of cushioning. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other brands. All right. While you're thinking about that, I do have a question about Hoka's because you have mentioned on the reviews that, you know, that Thomas has the thinner foot and you have the wider foot. My, my foot has always tended more towards the thinner side or the more actually narrow has a narrow side. Um, um, yet when I wear a couple different Hoka pairs, specifically like the Rincon and the Clifton, the midfoot doesn't work for me because if you actually take out the insole, you'll see like the, um, and you, I'm not, I'm not seeing this for your benefit. I know you already know this, but for me, the insole, like right at the midfoot, like it, it, it's like it's this narrow, thin, narrow across. So like my foot, you know, it, it, every midfoot, every shoe will go over the inside, the medial side of the midsole. Your foot will always go over the top of that. Only in Hoka's does that pinch me. It doesn't pinch me in any other shoe. And I'm so, and I think it's partly because of the insole itself, because the insole doesn't go over the top of that, of that, the edge of the midsole that that then creates this dynamic where like my foot is pinching on the medial barrier of the midsole where I've never experienced that in any other shoe or any other shoe brand. That's so interesting. I have heard similar, like people with a wider foot don't always feel like the Hoka Clifton works for them. And I'm assuming it's probably for this reason. But I have like the Kavu three and I don't ha I haven't experienced that. So it's not as if it's like every single shoe, but it gives me pause with the Mach 4. Obviously, it'll be one of the situations where I have to try it out at a local running store instead of buying it because I'm like, how do people with wider feet wear these? I have narrow feet and I can't <laughs> even wear these. 
That's so interesting. Yeah, I don't have a problem. I don't know. I actually took out the insoles of my Saucony Ride 13s and put them into the Rincon. Oh. And took out like the insoles from the Rincon. And like they worked so much better after I did that. That's so funny. You know, and I know that you and I are like on a mind meld with the Saucony Ride 13 because when you when you talked about the Ride 14 in that that video with Thomas, I loved it because he was like, "This shoe's great for everybody." You're like, "Not for me, it's not." Yeah, I was like, "Yes, Megan, I am not a fan of that shoe either." Yeah, we'll take a pass on that one. <laughs> yeah, because it was, and then maybe it's because I don't, this is for, different for everybody, but as a as a midfoot striker, the Power Run midsole is too firm for me. Yeah. But I've worn that shoe and been like, all right, if I was a heel striker, how would I feel? And it felt so much better. But if I land midfoot, it was just like, this midsole is giving me nothing. And then at first I was like, all right, is it just because it's cold? Sometimes EVA midsoles can be do funky things in the cold weather. It like totally wasn't the case. It was just like how it was stacked up. And it was like why I didn't end up buying like the endorphin shift because that was also the power run midsole. Obviously it's a higher stack, but it definitely gave me pause. I, I don't know. The endorphin shift I like. Oh. And the ride I did. So. So what was the difference? I, maybe it's the thicker stack. I'd, I don't know. It it was also definitely a shoe that I only wore for like recovery days. So I'm not like taking this out as a daily trainer. This is like my slow jog after a hard workout day. There you go. All right. So we've like quickly morphed into shoe talk, which I I can't, (laughs) I can't contain myself. I have to do. All right. So uh, yesterday or the day before Puma came out with all, they they did their full launch, full US based launch. They've already launched them over in Europe, the the nitro line, um, which seems to be that a lot of people are liking um where they have like the deviate they got the velocity they got this at the liberate and then mm-hmm. um then they got their um their stability shoe as well um what has been your experience with that line because like, i'm so intrigued because i like when i played high school basketball i loved puma so i would go out of my way to wear like puma basketball shoes they were really hard to find and i basically only wore them for style reasons but i was such a fan of them so that when they they're coming out with this rendition of shoes i was so excited to see them coming out but i've seen some people are are, are big fans of them especially the deviate the deviate seems to be one of those shoes that not everyone's like on the same page about um, kind of wild, especially with the upper, whereas like the velocity seems to be more commonly um, reviewed in a certain way. Yeah. I've only tried the, is it the velocity is the daily trainer? Yeah. I haven't tested out the other models, so I can't even tell you what I think about them, but I feel like I'm going to like them because I've heard the descriptions about them. I like the one that I have had so far and just the construction and the quality of it feels really good. I, we used to review Puma shoes, I guess it's probably been like five years now, but the Puma FAS, the F-A-A-S, I don't know if you remember those, but no. I loved them. They were great. So I'm, I'm excited for Puma and I'm excited to, to try them. Yeah, I was all right. So I'm so when you ride in the deviate, I can't wait to to hear more because it seems like it's a shoe that's like tailor made for some of the things that you like about shoes. Yeah. Whereas like the velocity seems like it's more of like um almost like you see with like the Razor Plus or like the A6 Evo ride, where it's like it can be a daily trainer, it can be these other things too. Yeah, I'm excited to try the lineup. Yeah, so I'm like this close to buying it, but like the Deviate seems like it's one of those shoes that doesn't always fit everybody with like the heel slippage. I've started, I've seen some reviewers like they show like these crazy blisters in the back of their Achilles. I'm like, oh god, like. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't get that with the Nova Blast, which I know like the Nova Blast gave that to some people. I think um, Demore James James Seth Demore. Um, I always mix up his name. Anyway, he had like these blisters in the back of his Achilles after From wearing the Nova, Nova Blast? Blast. Yeah, and he huh. loved them. But he like showed his foot afterwards. He's like, look at this. But he oh, like wow. gave them this great rating. He's like, I got to figure out how to wear these shoes without getting a blister because I love these things. Um, so like maybe it's just, you know, certain people are just constructed different ways. Um, but anyway, I didn't expect to have so much Puma talk, but I'm just so excited <laughs> to try new shoes that haven't been out on the market, especially ones uh, that look like that. With that being said, you've seen my passion for shoes that are coming out. You've already expressed your love for the Fresh Foam More 3. Are there other shoes that are going to be coming out in 
you know, the near future that you are also excited about uh, hitting the market? We just got yesterday the New Balance uh, RC Elite. Oh. It's their new plated shoe. It's got a big foam slab and it feels pretty light. And I'm really excited to get back into trading just for that shoe. I think I'm really going to like it. They they said they've done a lot and they believe it's going to compete with the, the Nike Vaporfly or Alpha Fly. So we'll see. But that one I'm definitely excited about. Yeah. So the the original RC Elite, it seemed like a lot of people viewed that. Again, I've never worn it, but I must have seen 15,000 different reviews <laughs> because I, I have a problem. Um, but it seemed like a lot of people viewed that more as like a half marathon shoe yes. than a marathon shoe. And so they did beef this one up a little bit. So I think this will be a contender for the marathon, not just the half. All right, so see, you just finished a marathon. You ran really fast. You struggled the whole way. You really, really worked hard. And yet, you got these shoes coming in. Is it exciting to like get back out there? How do you manage the recovery side with like the excitement of getting out there for all these various reasons? Yeah, it's um I'm really bad with recovery to start with, so adding some new shoes does not help me out at all. I'm like itching to get back out and run. Um but I, I mean, I, I'll take pretty much this week off and then just get, yeah, get back into it and start running and choose. So are you a goal-oriented person by nature? Yes. Okay. So you'd had this big goal for a while. You worked really hard. You achieved it. That's an amazing thing. Do you already have a new goal or how does this, how does this work now? Oh, yeah. I, as soon as I got back, I was like, what half marathons can I do in the next couple of months? Oh, you want to go sub 120? Oh, I mean, that sounds a little audacious right now, but yeah, get, get faster. Uh, I don't know exactly. I mean, sub 120, definitely. I don't know if that'll be this year, maybe next. Um, and then we already signed up for a fall marathon. So, Oh, which one? Wine glass. Where is that? Is that in Alabama? No, it's in um, Corning, New York. Oh, all right. Um, what am I thinking of? I'm thinking of the 10K. Didn't they just have it last weekend? It's the... In Alabama? It was like the wine something 10K. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, John Ranieri run it on the men's side. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's something like that. I can't believe I'm... I literally looked at the race results last night, and I can't remember <laughs> the name of the stupid race. Um, well, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, so I've heard so many good things about that marathon. What made you choose that one? Um, redemption. So we went there in 2019 and we had a headwind the whole time <laughs> and it's a point to point. So, and that's, that's my excuse. I mean, it just wasn't my day. And so I ran a 304 there and now I feel like I can, I can really have a good day. It's point to point. It's net downhill. It's a really fast um, race. If you get a tailwind, it'll be really, really fast. <laughs> um and it's a really cute little town and it's a smaller race. So I think it'll definitely happen. Well, that's exciting. So best of luck to you, Megan. I'm so excited for that to go your way and to see what else you're going to be doing and just everything with Believe in the Run. I, I can't recommend what you guys do strongly enough. Uh, a little over a year ago, Thomas and Robbie came onto my podcast to talk about shoes uh, for the new year. That was a lot of fun, but you guys are putting out stuff constantly so if someone is interested in believe in the run where's the best place best place for them to go to get more information and to see what you guys are up to i mean they can go to the website believe in the run.com also on instagram we'll probably get the latest photos of gear and shoes so that's just at believe in the run all right megan thank you so much for coming on the show it was a pleasure to talk to you thanks so much matt i loved it Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to interact with you. I really appreciate it. Also, big ups to our sponsors, Paper Trails Greeting Company, Beam, and Inside Tracker. Go check them out today. Links to all of their sites with codes are in the show notes. Anytime you need something uh, from the podcast, go check out the show notes. And no matter what your media, um, your, your podcast media player is, the show notes will be available and it will help you kind of sync up with whether it's following the guest on social media media or getting the links to any of the sponsors, they'll always be in there with the codes available as well. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. 
This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.